This is Yosemite Land, the Capital Public Radio podcast, where we look at how Yosemite National Park is changing and explore its future. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero. It's peak tourist season in Yosemite, but the most popular spot in the park is quiet. There are no people on trails or climbers on the cliffs that line Yosemite Valley. That's where around 95% of all tourists go. Only essential staff and wildlife are left in the park. As I was recording this, a fire had shut down parts of Yosemite, including the valley. But not because of flames, it was the smoke. The day of the evacuation, people said they were standing in front of iconic spots like El Capitan or Half Dome, and they couldn't see them. Officials also closed the park to give fire crews all access to roads for bulldozers and other fire equipment. It's been a week of uncertainty, with Yosemite scheduled to reopen, only for the Park Service to announce that it will now be closed indefinitely. I was going to save this topic of wildfires for a later episode on climate change, but our team decided to have this conversation now because of what's happening in Yosemite. It's the first time a fire closed a large portion of Yosemite since 1990, almost 30 years ago. Fires have always been an issue in the park, and some say it's going to get worse, but others say it's part of the solution. Welcome to Yosemite Land. Before the Ferguson fire began on July 13th, I was already talking about fire in the park. I met UC Merced professor Leroy Westerling in Yosemite Valley. This is actually one of my favorite places. I used to come to Yosemite all through the summer every year when I was growing up. Some of my earliest memories that I can that I can remember are standing in the meadow out here just a hundred yards from here and looking up at the rocks. We're hiking in an area not too far from Lower Yosemite Fall. Remember, that's where we explored in episode one. We're about 100 feet from the park's first Starbucks, and we're surrounded by dead pine trees. And we're looking at some pretty dense, brushy sort of oak coming up here uh, with cedars and uh, some dead pine Pine trees. trees. (laughs) And uh, I think, you know, it's going to be a really interesting place. I guess eventually these these tall pines that are killed by bark beetle are going to come down, right? Yeah, they'll fall over. Leroy studies the connection between climate change and fire in the Sierra Nevada. And he's looking some 500 years forward with modeling. Will Yosemite be colder, warmer, or even a lot hotter? It's his goal to find those answers and more. We actually are simulating individual extreme fire events in the future. We can uh, use those for forest managers who want to make their forests more resilient to climate change. Some of his less extreme modeling suggests little to no change, but others depict a Yosemite that I don't think people will like. We're looking at a landscape where the climate has been relatively stable for thousands of years compared to what's happening now and what we're projecting to happen over the next few centuries. Those interactions between the vegetation and and the climate and fire and other disturbances are really quite complicated. We don't have any example we can look at where we have data in the recent past because it's changing so fast. He says if something isn't done on a large scale sooner rather than later, the park could look very different than it does today. And the higher elevations may begin to see more fire than they did historically, but they're also gonna have much longer growing seasons. 
in the valley where we are today, I think this is going to be more oak woodland kind of uh, landscape. It'll still be a beautiful place to visit, but it won't look like this. We've been suppressing fires here for a long time, and that led to the valley kind of growing in, getting a lot thicker vegetation. And now the park is actually trying to manage for that more open landscape here again. Part of the problem is that people are used to seeing Yosemite as a lush, green place. But what would you think if the iconic images of Yosemite Valley look more like an oak shrubland than a pine forest? To really get a handle on all this, we need to go a little deeper and talk through some science. Leroy's research has a lot to do with carbon. Too much carbon in the atmosphere is a bad thing. It traps heat and that contributes to climate change. But when carbon is captured by trees through photosynthesis and then ends up in soil, it's a good thing. He says to picture this process like water flowing into a bathtub. The carbon coming into the bathtub is the new growth and the carbon coming out of it is the decay after things die or carbon that's emitted from fires. You've got this dynamic process of putting carbon into it and it's taking carbon out of it. And which of those processes dominates depends on sort of the overall climate. And Leroy's most extreme modeling takes this idea to the edge. He says that sometime in the 22nd century, the region could emit more carbon than it stores. That means there may be larger fires in the park because it'll be drier and hotter. This has the potential to reshape the face of Yosemite, and it's something that park managers are taking seriously. I want you to meet Kelly Martin. She's a fire chief in Yosemite National Park. When I chatted with her earlier this year, she knew it would just be a matter of time before a big fire sparked. She called it. It's coming one way or the other. So we're going to either get it in very large fires that are very destructive to the overstory trees, or do we say, you know what, we need to think differently. We need to be an advocate for good fires on the landscape to prevent these big fires in the future. The Ferguson fire that shut down Yosemite Valley in July was a perfect storm of overgrown brush and dead pine trees. And it started years ago with California's most recent drought. The lack of rain and snow allowed bark beetles to kill more than 129 million trees across the state. As a reporter, I covered drought and all this die-off for years. I've hiked all over the Sierra, and at certain elevations, it's littered with large clumps of dead trees. I camped not too far away from Yosemite this weekend, and whole mountainsides were tinged with brown. Locals call that the red tsunami. This is an issue in Yosemite as well. What's made it worse is that big snowpacks are not always helping reduce the risk of fire. Kelly says last year's snowpack should have prevented two fires that burned about 16,000 acres. We had this large snowpack, but it melted fairly quickly, and then it really dried out. So we were had a lot of heat, uh, a lot of very dry days that then allowed th- those two footprints in the park to be able to burn like they did. Kelly, who by the way is Yosemite's first female fire chief, is using fire to fight fire. It's a practice that's been in place in the park for decades. My job is really to look at the landscape of Yosemite and outside the park as well, to say, can fire be used as as an effective tool to start reducing a lot of this undesirable, dead and down fuel 
in a way that's not overly catastrophic to the watershed. Kelly knew she wanted to work in fire since she was in her early 20s. She didn't expect to move up very high in rank because she says there are very few women in leading roles in the world of fire. I love watching how fire moves across the landscape. I love watching how fire is a, is a renewal agent. It's not just a destructive agent, but it's a very, very essential element on our, on our landscapes, especially in national parks. She says to view Yosemite as a tapestry with only some finished pieces. The complete sections are areas that have already burned. Now, Kelly wants to identify the missing spots, places with the highest risk of burning, and she wants to light them on purpose. That's called a prescribed burn. It's a practice that she says needs to be adopted all across the Sierra Nevada. Well, we're just chasing the storm right now. We're just storm chasers to these great big wildfires, which is almost $3 billion a year. And the prescribed fire program might only get a tenth of that money nationwide. And so if you really think about if we were to shift some of that money from suppression and putting it into doing larger landscape treatments, you know, could we create those footprints in the future that will limit the large rim fire that, that, that hit Yosemite on the north end of the park? That fire burned 400 square miles in 2013. Most people think of it as a tragedy, but Kelly thinks fire can be good and is actually healthy for a forest. Lots of people don't like the idea of large fires burning and polluting the air with smoke. But she says if people really want the Sierra Nevada to be green and lush, they're going to have to be all right with it. The wildflowers that are coming out right now are absolutely prolific everywhere in these burned areas. To kind of help allay the fear of a fire and seeing that fire is bad, come and actually see this the same fire footprint that burned last year Take a walk through the woods and see for yourself the different plants and the different animals that actually respond very positively to a good fire on the landscape. Right now, the Ferguson fire is having a huge impact. When I recorded this episode, it had grown to around 91,000 acres. It's forced the closure of multiple routes into the park and shut down Yosemite Valley indefinitely. It's the longest closure since 1997, when flooding closed the area for two months. Park officials say it's almost eerie, with low-hanging smoke and no people. My colleague Bob Moffat grew up in Mariposa. That's a town near Yosemite, near where the Ferguson fire is burning. This region depends on tourism to drive its economy. He was on the front lines reporting on the Ferguson fire. Hey, Bob. Hi, Ezra. Bob, you were there at the scene in the early days of the fire. Why did this fire get so big? Talk about the topography there. It's a series of hills and ridges, and depending on how high up you are, uh, either oak trees or pine trees, and both burn quite well. And, you know, a big problem is once you get a fire up on top of a ridge or you get a a fire at the bottom of a ridge that's going uphill, then it can really race and it can shoot fire literally through the sky. Uh, If you get wind and fire working together, you've got a real problem. Yeah, the park's been closed since July 25th. Where did all those tourists go? Some people just bolted for whatever their next step was on their summer vacation. Uh, Ran across one family, though, from Irvine who had driven up, along with a family member who had flown in from China 
to see Yosemite, and they ended up in Groveland along with several other people. Were you able to see anything, no. Half Dome? Too much no. smoke. It's like... Too much smoke. We didn't go to the Half Dome. We didn't go to the valley at all. It's a shame, right? It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it's a long drive and we didn't get to see anything. So that was Caitlin B. and her mom, Michelle, and Michelle's sister had flown in from China, and they were uh, staying at a hotel in downtown Groveland. You know, speaking about Groveland and even Mariposa, you grew up in this area. What was life like when, in terms of fire? Was this a regular occurrence? We grew up on the side of a mountain, and my mom was kind of an unofficial member of the fire department because she was always calling in fires and smoke when she saw them. Because, again, when you live on the side of a mountain like we did, if a fire gets down below us and comes up the side of the mountain, well, then we've got a serious problem. So when a big blaze like the Ferguson fire comes through this, an area like this, how does this affect Mariposa and, and the surrounding area like for people who live there? People are on edge. They're always monitoring. This is a kind of red state, rural area where we don't need much in the way of help. We can do it ourselves. And so you're going to have uh, several, you know, people that are there at the ready with the garden hose ready to fight off the fire. And one of them was a guy I grew up with who he was prepared to do the firefight. And then the wall of fire came at him. And then he realized he had made a very serious mistake. Fortunately for him, there was a member of one of the firefighting crews that was in the area that just came through and picked him up and got him out of there. You're talking about the Detweiler fire that burned right up to Mariposa last year. Right. And what makes this year unique is that the Yosemite Valley closed. And so how is that closure affecting businesses? Well, businesses in Mariposa that I talked to were down 4 to 10 percent for the month from this year to last year. That's a pretty good hit considering that prime tourist season is now. So, Bob, fires of this magnitude take a long time to recover from and actually continue on burning. What's next for this region? Well, thankfully, the fire itself started in really almost an ideal place. As far if you were going to start a fire to burn tens of thousands of acres and not do any damage to people's homes, this would be the spot to put it. That said, you know, the topography and the firefighting effort ended up killing two firefighters. And so that tells you a little about what we're dealing with here. Just because it wasn't next to somebody's home doesn't mean that it's not dangerous. As of now, the fire is still burning and it could burn for weeks or even longer. It has this region on hold, waiting for the flames and smoke to pass. And just like Bob made clear, the Ferguson fire won't be the last like it in this area. That's it for this episode of Yosemite Land. Next week, we'll hear from Native Americans with ties to Yosemite Valley and learn about what they want the future of the park to look like. We'll collect materials to make baskets and learn about a new village being built in the park that was almost entirely burned down a few decades ago. We want to hear from you. Did the Ferguson fire impact your life or your travel plans? And what are your questions about fire in Yosemite? Send us an email or a voice memo with your story ideas, and they just might air in our final episode of the podcast. Yosemite Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. 
Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Linnea Edmeyer is the executive producer. Our theme song is Arizona Moon by Blue Dot Sessions. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See photos, maps, and more stories on our website, capradio.org slash yosemiteland. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero with Capital Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Yosemite Land. Thank you.